You're listening to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, the sex ed you never got in school and won't get anywhere else. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. One of the most popular tropes that you're bound to encounter in writings about human sexuality is that male sexuality is simple, whereas female sexuality is complex. There's a pervasive belief out there that sex is just easy for men in general because they're always in the mood and sex is mostly a physical and not emotional thing for them. The reality of male sexuality, however, is much more complicated, and we're not doing anyone any favors by oversimplifying it. So in today's show, we're going to dive into common myths about male sexuality. We're going to talk about what men really want when it comes to sex, how unrealistic appearance standards and penis size concerns affect men's intimate lives, the myth of men is perpetually DTF, and more. I am joined once again by Cam Frazier, who is a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counselor, and registered tantric yoga teacher. As a coach, he helps men go beyond surface-level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-oriented sexual experiences that are free of anxiety and shame. This is going to be another fascinating conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Are you passionate about building a career in sexuality? Look no further than the Sexual Health Alliance. With Shaw, you'll connect with world-class experts and join an engaged community of sexuality professionals from all around the world. Whether you're just beginning your journey or are in the process of building advanced skills, Shaw's comprehensive certifications, engaging events, and self-paced online training will move you beyond the basics and set you up to be a rising star in the field. Visit sexualhealthalliance.com and start building the sexuality career of your dreams today. Okay, Cam, let's discuss some myths about male sexuality. As a starting point, I want to talk about how male and female sexuality are often portrayed in the media. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this side-by-side image of two boxes with one labeled male and the other labeled female. And on the male side, there's this single button. You know, it's an on switch. And on the female side, there's a whole bunch of buttons and knobs and dials and lights But the goal of these images is basically to convey that male sexuality is simple and that female sexuality is complex. And while that is often presented in a way that aims to be humorous, a lot of people seem to have internalized this message and they just think that men are simple creatures when it comes to sex. But that's not true. So tell us why this idea is wrong. Yeah, I... I'm familiar with the meme that you're talking about, and it's a pet peeve of mine when I see that uh, because I work with men every day and you know, sex for them or sexuality for them is not simple and not straightforward and, and there is nuance and complication to it. And I, I think it does a disservice to men and, and the people that you know, love men is you know, it flattens them, right? Like it, it doesn't acknowledge their human experience. It doesn't acknowledge the depth of their emotions and their psychology. And I think, like you said, a lot of people buy into that. And so there's a lot of men who I know who are going around trying to perpetuate that idea by divorcing their emotions from their sexual experiences, right? They're like really buying into this idea of it's just physical. There's no emotional connection. Like sex doesn't mean anything, right? It's just this, just get it up, get it off and get out essentially. And 
And when I speak to them and we go kind of scratching underneath the surface, that it's that's never the case. They're always telling me that like there is like an emotional connection and and there is like this desire for intimacy and there is something in terms of a deeper meaning, but they feel wrong for feeling that. They feel like that's not what they should be feeling because again, they've bought into this script that male sexuality is just, you press a button, you get turned on, you come and then that's it. And so I think it's like I said before, doing disservice to a lot of men because they feel shame for maybe experiencing a lot more emotions in their sexual encounters than what they feel like they should, what their perceptions of masculinity allow them to. Uh, and I think similarly, the people that have sex with men or people that love men as well, then can start to feel like there's uh, miscommunication happening or like there's these expectations that aren't being met because they have the same education and expectation and perceptions around male sexuality as the men themselves. Uh, so I think, yeah, that, that does a big disservice. And, you know, if we look at the the research, I suppose, like there's plenty of research out there which shows that like regards of gender, emotions are experienced at the same rate. Uh, there's like some evidence to suggest like a gendered experience where there's certain emotions that women in these studies experience more intensely and there's certain emotions that men experience more intensely. I think part of that is social conditioning as well because one of the experiences that men supposedly experience more intensely is anger. Uh, and I think that's partly because anger is more socially acceptable for men in the society that we live in. I know I felt that personally, like I felt like anger is a go-to emotion that's okay for me to express as a man. And so that's possibly why I felt that more intensely in my body. But the more emotionally aware I've become, the more intense and tuned into the whole spectrum of emotions I've become. And so I, I, that's why I think it's probably socially conditioned. It's like, that's important evidence to take into consideration and, um, Something that I notice when I speak to older men, for example, is, and I'm talking older men like in their 60s and 70s, um, when I've done workshops and, and when I've had private conversations, is like, as an acknowledgement, they, they kind of say to me, and I've heard this story so often, is when they were younger, they did maybe think, and they had an approach to sex, which was, like I said before, devoid, or they were trying to divorce their emotions from those experiences. And as they've matured and gotten older, they've realized, why oh, I really, like the thing that makes sex good for me is the emotional connection, is the intimacy, is the like feelings of desire and feeling desired themselves as well. It's like, like another big piece of the puzzle is like this idea that men are the ones that do the desiring, are the ones that do the pursuing and that they don't need to feel desired themselves. They don't need to, you know, they shouldn't want to be wanted. But that's like a big piece of a lot of these men who I've spoken to anyway, like their sexual experiences is like knowing that their partner desires them and knowing that there's like this mutual connection and, and intimacy with one another. So that's very anecdotal. I'll give you that. But like, it's something that I hear over and over again. It's like these guys having this reckoning of like, whoa, there is so much, so much emotion and intimacy tied to sex. And I've not been allowing myself to feel that. And now it's like becoming an issue. Those are all great points. And this has me thinking about my own research on sexual fantasies. And when I ask people to write out their biggest sexual fantasy of all time, you know, there is a gender difference in the sense that men don't tend to write as much about the emotional experience involved in those fantasies. But if you separately ask them, how important is it for you to feel a variety of specific emotions when you fantasize about sex, they're checking off a lot of things on the list. And one of the biggest ones is feeling desired by the other person. Another gender difference is that men actually in their fantasies focus more on a specific other person 
than do women. And women are more likely in their fantasies to see themselves as the object of desire. Women are more likely to have fantasies about a vague, faceless person. Men are much more likely to have a very specific person in mind and to have this strong want to feel desired by that other person. They don't necessarily consciously recognize that and write about it when they're describing their fantasies. But if you separately dive into different aspects of the fantasy, you see there's a big emotional element in many, if not most of those cases. And so it's just one of those things that people tend to get wrong about men's sexuality is that, you know, as you said, they think that it's devoid of emotion and it's just about the physical pleasure and sensation, but it's so much more than that. Basically, the short answer is we're all complex beings. And I think that's a really great opportunity to add some like practical advice there, right? It's like if you've got a partner and they're talking about their sexual experiences, if, you know, if your partner's a man, like prompt them, right? Like ask them that deeper question because they might answer with physical sensations and the act, they might talk about the active, you know, the fantasy itself and they might not go any deeper. And if you don't inquire anymore, then you might be left feeling like it's just a physical thing for them. But as you kind of shared, Justin, with your research, like if they're prompted specifically to talk about it, they've got a lot of things to, to share, right? And they're, they're ticking off a lot of boxes. So that might be a really good conversational, practical piece of advice for couples or people that are you know, having these conversations with, with men is to, to, to ask those questions and, and to give that kind of permission to go there for these guys. Yeah, definitely great advice. And, you know, something I often like to suggest when people are talking about or sharing their fantasies is to ask the question of how do you want to feel during sex? You know, that's a totally different conversation than describe your fantasy to me, right? Because it goes to a deeper level and helps people to think about their fantasies and what it is that they really want to get out of them in a unique way. So, Something else that I think is a big myth about male sexuality is the idea that only women feel pressure to subscribe to hyper-beauty standards and ideals. And people tend to think that men are somehow immune to this, but that's not the case. A lot of men feel a lot of pressure to look a certain way. Some men have very serious body image issues, and those issues can spill over into the bedroom. So, for example, in some of the research I've seen, the more anxious men are about their overall physical appearance, and I'm not talking at all about penis size here, the more likely they are to report sexual problems. So, tell us a little bit about this. How do beauty standards affect men, and what are the implications of this for sex, dating, and relationships? Yeah, thank you for expanding outwards from just penis size anxiety, because that's very often where that conversation gets stuck uh, and it's important, but I think it's also really relevant to talk about yeah, beauty standards and physique and body type in general. I, I speak to a lot of guys who feel, and, and I'll be, I'll disclose here, like I have felt this as well, that I am not muscular enough or I, you know, I don't look strong enough or I don't have washboard, you know, six pack abs. Uh, and, and I speak to a lot of guys who you know, feel very similarly that they're, they're um, self-conscious about taking their shirt off at the beach or they're when it comes to like a sexual scenario, they're worried that like they're not quote unquote masculine enough for that partner. Uh, again, because physique and muscularity is conflated with masculinity. And so there's this fear of like, oh, my partner's not going to find me attractive enough. And this is perpetuated by all these social media, you know, dating gurus who will go and do a little silly litmus test of showing two photos one's like a bodybuilding world champion and the other's like a 
a skinny guy sitting at a computer screen and they'll ask women, you know, on the street after a couple of drinks, like, who would you want to take you home? And, and so a lot of guys see that and they go, oh, this is what the average woman wants. This is what women are wanting. And like, oh, like I'm not, I'm this guy on the computer screen and it creates stress and anxiety and, you know, body image concerns for them. And then that gets perpetuated by social media in general, which is the people that are the influencers, the male influencers on social media, like they're hitting the gym or a lot of gym influencers, which a lot of men you know, look up to are taking steroids. Uh, it's a big issue, uh, to be honest. And we might even look at the male physiques in pornography as well. And there's a specific male physique in heterosexual porn that a lot of guys will see as well. And, and that's where maybe the conversation about penis size is a bit more appropriate. But there is a lot of a lot of anxiety and it's increasing anxiety as well. We're kind of seeing that like it's on the rise. We're very familiar in the research with like the way that, you know, cis women in particular, like have a lot of pressure and anxiety around their beauty standards and, and how that's been kind of like quite high for quite a while. And now we're kind of seeing this creeping incremental increase of like men also experience it. And I, I think that's like partly because of these companies. I don't want to get real cynical here and all political, but a lot of these companies are, you know, looking for a new clientele, looking for new new customers, you know, and it's like, what's a way that we can do that? Well, let's make men feel insecure about their bodies, you know, and there's all these grooming companies now and, and skincare companies and stuff, which are selling directly to men because frankly, they see a, a new customer base, um, in my opinion, and maybe that's a bit cynical, but I definitely have seen it. I'm really only speaking about heterosexual men now because this is my wheelhouse and the, the people that I work with, but I've spoken to many gay men who also feel an extra layer of body image concerns because of the, from what I understand, like the higher expectations of like being physically fit or being well-groomed or whatever it might be within like the, the particular community that they're a part of. And so I'm seeing it heaps and it's only only increasing in my observation. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, you know, historically and even today that the pressure that's on women to look a certain way is is and has been greater than has been the case for men. I think in the past for men, there weren't really a lot of standards that they were held to for how they looked. But today, I think, you know, the gender gap is closing, not because the standards for women are necessarily decreasing, but because the standards for men are increasing, you know, and if I just look at the ads that Instagram and Facebook are showing me, you know, they're all about things I need to do to change my appearance. You know, they're showing me the, here's the device to shave your balls. Here's the device to get rid of the hair on your back. Here is the men's makeup that you should be wearing. Like it, it's everything like head to toe about how I need to change my body to fit some certain standard. And, you know, that stuff did not exist 10, 15, 20 years ago, or it didn't exist to the level that it does today. So, you know, the, the beauty standards for men, the expectations for their bodies, you know, you could also talk just more broadly about social media and who we're seeing depicted there and the influencers, you know, it's just raising standards for everybody. And I think putting a lot of unhealthy pressure on us that can spill over into sexual and other problems in our lives. Now, I know you mentioned, you know, when people talk about body image issues for men, they often start that conversation and end it just by talking about penis size. 
So I wanted to talk about the general overall body first before we dove into the issue of penis size, because I do know that that is a significant concern for a lot of men. You know, there's this idea that bigger is better, that's reinforced by porn. And a lot of guys feel inadequate about their size, and some of them are going to extreme lengths pun intended, to add more inches, whether that's getting a surgical implant, adding fillers, or using stretching devices. So Cam, please tell us, does size really matter? And what's your advice to guys who are anxious because they think their penis is too small? Does size really matter is a very loaded question because for some people it does, right? Like that is a fact. There are size queens out there and to them it definitely matters. And so I don't want to create false realities. I think that's like an important thing to firstly acknowledge. And, right, not but, but and, there's also a lot of people out there who size isn't a factor in their experience of pleasure or in their desire for their partner. And and this is where like another little cliche saying might come in. It's not the size of the boat. It's the motion of the ocean. And uh, I've even heard an extension of that phrase, which is it's not the size of the boat or the motion of the ocean. It's whether the captain can stay in port long enough for every passion to get off. And so I think that's like a beautiful way of like thinking about sexual experiences is like, you know, if the goal is, you know, to experience pleasure, uh, like that might not include a penis, right? And so then it doesn't really matter about what the size of the penis is. And if it is about size, there's toys, there's things that you can incorporate to fulfill that particular desire that a partner might have for girth or length or depth of penetration or whatever it might be. So, and so I know that's a tender issue for guys that may maybe feel like they're on the smaller side, but it's a fact of life. It's a reality. Your body is not going to be the body that every single person in the world wants to have sex with. That's fine. It's okay. So beyond that, then like guys that do feel like they're on the smaller side and, and maybe they've looked up and I, I mean, I know I have done this. I know most men that I've spoken to have looked up the averages of penis sizes. It's like a, almost like a little rite of passage for guys and they're like, you know, understanding their bodies. They'll, they'll go and look at the sizes. And so yeah, for guys that maybe do feel like they're below the average or they feel like they're on the smaller side, some things to look at then are certain positions, right? So I've spoken to colleagues on my podcast to talk about the positions that feel stimulating or that allow for more depth because of the way that the bodies are positioned in that sexual encounter that allow for like a small penis to, to penetrate maybe the if we're looking at like the anatomy of the vagina like a pressing up into the like the g spot or the g zone or the back of the clitoris uh, and so there's ways of maneuvering bodies let's say to allow for the penetration that you and your partner might be looking for and so that's like a, just a real practical conversation to have Like I said before, there's plenty of toys and oftentimes penis size anxiety comes from a place of like phallocentrism and like centering the penis in that sexual experience and thinking that all the pleasure has to come from deep thrusting when sure, some pleasure can come from that, but it isn't the only pleasure. Uh, And very often we know this is a very common thing now, but like a lot of women in particular need clitoral stimulation and, you know, that comes from maybe using your tongue or hands or toys in conjunction with penetration or without. And so it doesn't matter how big you are in that regard because you're not penetrating when you're stimulating the clitoris with with your hands or or a toy. So there's, again, like this diversification of pleasure, I think is like really necessary because the size of the penis isn't the be all and end all um, at the end of the day. I think like one of the things that I talk about in that space as well is I I do this workshop with men and um, I'll get a bunch of Play-Doh out uh, or plasticine uh, depending on where you are in the world 
And the activity that I'll give to men is I'll, I'll put the Play-Doh on the ground and I'll say, like, I want you to, to create, using this Play-Doh, a normal penis. And that's the only prompt that I'll give them. And, you know, very often one of the guys will say, oh, I'm going to need some more Play-Doh, you know, and um, the you know joke about being bigger. But then it prompts some really interesting conversations because some guys will make a flaccid penis. Some guys will make an erect penis. Some guys will add balls or testicles to their Play-Doh. Some guys will specifically make a foreskin. Other guys won't. Like it starts to prompt this question of like, well, what does a normal penis look like? And there isn't really an answer to that, right? And we talk about in the context of like erections and flaccidness, or if we're thinking of the percentage of time that a penis spends erect versus spends flaccid, is a normal penis a flaccid penis, right? Not an erect penis, but there's like zero representation of flaccid penises in pornography or mainstream media. And so there's this, what I call the fear of flaccidness, the fear of the flaccid penis. For a lot of people that know what to do with a flaccid penis when they're presented with one. So it's a really beautiful way of like destigmatizing like penis shapes and sizes. And there's some really great resources online that just have like a bunch of photos of cocks of all different shapes and sizes. And, and again, like a, a lot of guys don't see penises out in the wild. So they don't have an accurate representation of like the variety of shapes and sizes out there. And they think that something's wrong with them. And to speak to the, the data, like I think I might misquote this, but I, I think it's, it's accurate enough. Is like 80% of guys are unhappy with the size of their penis. And of those 80% of guys, 95% of them want to be bigger. So there is this real tangible anxiety that guys have around the size of their cock. And, and so I often speak to partners and within the context of heterosexual couples, the power of positive affirmation from his partner and the power of, I've talked about the power that's in her hands, literally, like the loving touch that you can give to your partner's genitals, even if he's flaccid as well, without the intention of trying to get an erection from him or trying to stimulate him to the point of like getting an erection, just like having that loving, nurturing touch on his penis can be like a really healing experience for, for a lot of guys. Because like I said, there's a lot of anxiety and fear around like not being big enough or not being, you know, they equate it with their masculinity. So not being masculine enough or, or whatever it might be. And the, the same is true. That's a two-way street as well. A lot of, there's a lot of power in our hands as, as men to tell our partners, you know, feel comfortable and confident in their body as well. But it's a two-way street. Yeah. You said so many important things there. And I really hope you're keeping all of those Play-Doh penises that you're having people make, because that sounds like it could be a fun art project at some point. But to sum up what you're saying, you know, to the question of does size matter, there is not a one-size-fits-all answer, right? Another pun intended. Um, But different things matter to different people when it comes to sex and what is pleasurable and all of that. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about a concept that I often share with people, which is this idea of genital fit. And I think that that's a big part of what makes sex pleasurable is it's just how your genitals line up for the sexual activities that you're going to be engaging in. And some people are just naturally a good fit. Their bodies just line up in this way that results in pleasurable sex. Sometimes, however, you have to explore and experiment and find the positions where you have the right fit. And sometimes it doesn't really matter how many positions you try, you just might not have that ideal fit that results in optimal pleasure for everyone. And that's where you can explore things like toys or something else. But it's also where, you know, some people just might not be sexually compatible because their bodies just don't line up in a way that results in optimal pleasure. So I think what you said about recognizing that, 
you're not going to be a sexual match for everybody is an important thing to keep in mind. Like, that's okay. You're not everybody's type, but you are somebody's type. And once you come to recognize and realize that, I think that that becomes very reassuring. I know it's scary. Nobody likes rejection, but you're just not everybody's type, but you're somebody else's type. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And, and I appreciate you summing up my ranting uh, very simply. Thank you. <laughs> so I think another important myth, and we've kind of hinted at this in our discussion so far, is that men are always down to fuck, right? You know, if a sexual opportunity presents itself, men are going to be instantly turned on and ready to go. And I've heard from so many men over the years who are distressed because they find that they're just not ready to go at a moment's notice. And then they start thinking they have erectile dysfunction. And then that turns into the self-fulfilling prophecy where the anxiety starts to get in the way of future erections. So, you know, just briefly, what's the truth here? Are men always supposed to be up for sex? No, no, it is a stereotype. It is a myth. Uh, I mentioned Sarah Hunter Murray's book, Not Always in the Mood, uh, in the previous episode, and uh, I'll reference it again here. She's got some great data in there around the percentage of couples that go to see sex therapists. It's, you know, 50% of them, and these are heterosexual couples, I might add, 50% of them go and see sex therapists for libido discrepancies. So one partner's got a higher libido than the other that's causing issues. And of those 50% of couples, 50% of them, the woman has a higher libido than the men. So it's like, if that data tells us anything, it tells us that it's pretty split down the middle of people having higher sex drive than, than their partners and, and who that might be. Oftentimes, libido gets conflated with testosterone. You know, I'll hear a lot of testosterone zealots kind of say that if you want more libido if you want to desire sex more like just take testosterone and while there is a correlational effect of testosterone on libido like that's not to be thrown under the rug there's so many other things that impact sex drive and even just like hormonally let's say like cortisol and you know dopamine and, and a whole bunch of other things that go into it and also if we're conflating testosterone with sex drive which we shouldn't but a lot of people do we've got to acknowledge that testosterone fluctuates as well. It's high in the morning, it's low in the evening. There's also a seasonal pattern that can be observed where it's high in the winter and low in the summer. There's also rhythms with it that happen over 20 and 30 day kind of cycles. There's also a steady decline with age as well. So like there's, there's fluctuations in testosterone. And if you're conflating testosterone with sex drive, there by proxy has to be fluctuations in sex drive as well. So men aren't always you know, high, unyielding and unwavering in their desire for sex. So yeah, it's, it's a myth. And I think it's, um, doesn't do a service at all to men and, and the people that, that have sex with men. Yeah. Well put. Now I have one more question for you. I know we're running short on time, but as a sex and relationship coach, what do you think men need to know in terms of becoming better sexual partners? Do you have any top tips or takeaways you'd like people to know? I certainly do. One of my top tips is to stoke your curiosity. I think curiosity should be the cornerstone of our sex life and our sexual relationships. And so in a practical sense, what that means is starting to ask questions of your partner. What are they into? You know, what turns them on? What are their boundaries? What do they not want to do? And there's plenty of little activities and games that you can bring to your relationship, whether that's a long-term relationship or even a, you know, a casual one that can help facilitate those conversations. You can Google the yes, no, maybe so activity. That's a great little practical resource. There's 
some card games that you can do. Uh, there's little things that just take that burden of initiation away and help you bring some playfulness and some curiosity into those conversations. And I think that's a really good place to start is learning how to hold that space to have that conversation and to be curious and to ask questions that will serve you well. Another practical step is like, you know, I often think that sex between two or more people is like musicians at a jam session, right? And if you're wanting to have fun and then play some beautiful music, regardless of what it kind of sounds like, like you've got to be familiar with your own instruments, right? You've got to come to that jam session knowing how to play your guitar or your flute, right? Or whatever it is, your piano, right? There has to be some sort of level of competency with your own instrument. So that's where self-pleasure is really important. Learning about your own body is really important. Learning how to notice the different levels of arousal in your body, the different pathways of pleasure that you have. You know, I spoke previously about reconditioning yourself. If you've been doing something the same way for the last 15, 20 years when you masturbate, there's probably a really strong pattern there in your body. And that's not a bad thing. Your body knows how to do something really well, but give it more things to do. Right, diversify and add variety into your self-pleasuring practice. You know, they say the variety is the spice of life. It's also the spice of your sex life, right? And that doesn't mean a variety of different people necessarily, but it means a variety of different ways of experiencing pleasure. And so, yeah, I'm a big advocate for exploring your body by yourself and like learning about it so that when you go to the jam sesh, you've got some familiarity with how to play your instruments. And then hopefully you're asking the right questions about other people's instruments and how they play and how <laughs> confident and comfortable they are in that space so you can jam out and play some good music. <laughs> can you give me a music lesson, please? But make it sexy. <laughs> I like the way that you put all of that. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Cam. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and maybe take one of your workshops? Yeah, it was lovely to be here, Justin. Thank you. And the, the places people can find me is on social media at the Cam Fraser. That's F-R-A-S-E-R. I've also got a website, which is cam-fraser.com. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. No worries. Thank you for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at Justin Lee Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lee Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode of this show, you can leave me a podcast voicemail at speakpipe.com slash sex and psychology. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Hold up. 